I just want to start off and remind you guys that uh, next Sunday, uh, the next two Sundays, we will be having a 10 a.m. only service. Uh, we're going to be unpacking and talking a little bit about uh, Shift 22, something you guys have been waiting for. We're get, we've got some booklets printed. We're going to share a lot of information. We're going to have a way for you guys to communicate your questions uh, that you might have for us that we're going to answer in real time. Some of them we'll answer uh, the week later because we're going to have week two is going to be a little bit more follow-up and we're going to do something a little different. But you probably are not going to want to miss next Sunday, uh, the next two Sundays actually. Uh, we, we will send out texts if you're on our member group. Uh, we'll send out emails. Uh, we'll try to uh, contact you. It'll be on our website and other things. Uh, so hopefully you remember. Um, if you're in this service, you generally don't have to worry. It just means you'll be early in case you do forget. Uh, but you really are not going to want to miss the next couple weeks where we talk about the future of our church and what we are ultimately doing here together. I don't know if you know this, um, and we're just shy on a month now, I think by a few days, that Valentine's Day is coming up. Guys, did you remember that Valentine's Day, Mike, did you remember Valentine's Day was coming? Okay, you have no idea. It's January 16th, okay, it's 2022 now, so uh, maybe you want to look at that calendar. Um, I'm not quite sure what Valentine's Day is all about. I know there's a history to it and all these other kinds of things, but I'm pretty convinced that the chocolate people and the card people and the jewelry people got together and said, how can we make people feel really inadequate and insecure? Let's just pick a day and act like people are supposed to do something on that day. And I don't know, may maybe it applies more to single people uh, or people that maybe haven't got up the courage to ask that special someone out. Maybe it, may maybe it kind of gives them a, a moment of courage to be able to do that. But I have fully decided, and Haley agrees with me on this, that Valentine's Day is a sham, okay? It absolutely is a sham. And the best description that I can give you as to why we do not celebrate Valentine's Day is because the fish is already in the boat, okay? There's just no need to do anything else at this point. Um, but no, if you'd like to celebrate Valentine's Day, then, then you know, good, uh, good, good luck with that. Um, hopefully, that goes, hopefully that goes well. You know, it's kind of funny because in every relationship, uh, there are moments where you realize that your relationship is changing when you're dating someone. Uh, it's quite funny. Uh, years after we were married, uh, Haley told me the story of the first moment that she realized that she actually loved me. Uh, and it's kind of a kind of, and for those of you that have been to our marriage group, you know our story. You know, she kind of didn't, didn't like me for a few years. I'm not quite sure if that's changed over the 15 years. Uh, she hasn't sort of let me know. But I remember she said, you know, we, we were very poor when we were dating. Right? Anybody was, we, we were all poor, right? And we would, we would splurge every now and then for a date night. And we would work and, you know, we, we, would, have to, we would have to come up with money. And so we, we met over coffee, which mostly just because it was cheap, to be honest. Um, but then every now and then we would splurge and, like, save up, you know, save up some money. And we'd go to, like, Abuelo's on a Friday night. And that was like a big date. You know, and you know what I'm talking about if you kind of came from similar, uh, similar settings. And, and we just loved the simple things uh, together. And I remember one time we were going to a movie. I couldn't tell you what movie it was. This is what she told me later. And I'd stopped off in a gas station. I might have been buying gas, but I probably was buying candy to smuggle into the movies, right? You know what I'm talking about because we're poor, okay? And she said, I don't know what it was about that moment that you kind of walked in and I just, she tells me she just kind of had this moment in the car where she realized, I don't just like this person, I love this person. And it was kind of a cool story. My, I, I have a memory. I don't remember the first time that I, that I loved Haley. I don't actually remember that story. But I do remember the moment that I knew that I wanted to marry her. Uh, she had an apartment and her parents were bringing her a new bed or a new mattress or something. And she said, hey, could you come over and help me throw the old one away? I said, sure. So I went over there. And I don't know why. You, I can't explain it. But as we're carrying this, you know how fun mattresses are to carry. And, and as we're carrying it, maneuvering it down the small hallway, down the stairs, into the dumpster, wherever we were throwing it, it was just in that moment that I realized this is the person that I want to marry. And I don't know if there's anything significant. If you have a psychology degree, you can tell me what was significant about that event. But we all have these moments. And uh, we have these moments. And that was about three months before um, I made a trip up to Amarillo. And I asked her parents if I could if I could marry her. Uh, my family was uh, had come over in, in town. And we had a family trip that Haley was invited to go on. And I proposed to her. And my family got to be a part of that moment because they often miss out on many other memories um, that we have just because we live so far uh, so far away. 
But I remember those stories, and maybe for you, you guys have those stories as well. If you've been married, and maybe it's been a while, and you think, now when, when did these things happen? There's a point in every relationship where we have to decide, do I love this person or do I just like this person? There's kind of a break there, and, and nobody can fully explain exactly what happened. But I thought about this. Maybe sometimes in our faith journey, and we've talked about that the last couple of weeks, but sometimes in our faith journey, we should apply these principles into our relationship with Jesus. And we have to decide, do I love Jesus or do I just like him? Because I think you would, you would know and you would agree, there is a difference between liking someone and loving someone. There is a difference between those things. There's also a difference between loving someone and loving the idea of someone. We live in a world where people love the idea of a relationship or they love the idea of what it should look like, but they're not actually, uh, they don't actually love the person that, that they're trying to create this world with. But I wanted to use this as maybe, a, maybe kind of a big picture that we could apply over the story of faith. And so we're going to kind of intermingle between relationships and faith, and hopefully you'll be able to follow me in the midst of this, but it shouldn't be that hard. I'm convinced, and I believe this is true, that the difference between dating and marriage is covenant. The Bible seems to tell us that when people enter into covenant together, it's ultimately what makes them married. And we live in a world right now that does not value covenant. It's a word that's kind of lost. If people ask you, you know, tell me about your marriage relationship, our first thought and our first word is not, we are living in covenant with each other. We're going to talk about that. The same way that there is a difference, the difference between belief and faith, ironically, is also covenant. There's a lot of people that are believers, but they never walk in covenant with God. I talked about this last week. It's the world of of neo-agnosticism. Now, the word agnostic, it doesn't mean that you deny the existence of God, but we live in this world that really says, I know God's there, but that is not the defining principle for my life. I, I'll pray to God when I need Him, or maybe I'll ask Him to do something in my life, or, or maybe there's illness and suddenly I'm, I'm on my knees prayerful or something's coming up, but if you ask me to define my life by faith day in and day out, I'm really not there. And that's the difference between, between kind of being in a committed somewhat relationship and being in a covenantal relationship. So I ask us again, do we love Jesus or do we just like him? Well, I'm going to talk about this here as well. How do you know if you love Jesus or if you just love the idea of Jesus? There's a lot of people in our world that go, yeah, I believe God created. I believe God's there. I believe God walks with me, but I'm really not going to do anything that makes me step across the threshold into this relationship. Just an FYI, a side note, covenants grow out of choices, not feelings. And we live in a world that is obsessed with how you feel all the time. All the time. We're going to talk about that. So let me remind you, the difference between dating and marriage is covenant. Okay, so I'm going to give you five things. You can decide at the end of this if you uh, like Jesus or love Jesus, and we can all do it together. It's going to be really fun, and some of you will never see again after this, so that's um, double-added bonus. Good, good. So question number one is this. How important are my feelings? How important are my feelings? Like I said, we live in a world that perception is our reality. How we feel is, I hear this all the time. I'll have married couples that will come and sit in my office and they say, well, we're not in love with each other anymore. Okay? And what does that have to do with the covenant of marriage? The reality is this. Uh, marriages, up till only about 100 years ago, it was an added bonus if you had good feelings towards your spouse, but most marriages were arranged marriages. Most marriages were alliances. The, the first son of this kingdom married the first daughter of this kingdom, and it created alliances. And we spend our lives uh, with, our, with our feelings all the time. How do you feel today? And we, we base our whole lives 
simply on how we feel. And I see a world of people that are only interested as long as they feel interested. And that's a question. Am I only interested as long as I feel interested? This is a lesson if you are a parent, you've had to teach your kids. Because your kids will make a commitment to something, right? And guess what? A week before that event, something better will come along, and they will have every conversation. You know the conversation, right? I really want to go to this party. I don't want to go and, you know, serve the homeless. And we say to them what? You made a commitment. You need to keep your commitments. Do you say that? Or do you say, that's right, let's make up some really, really weird excuse about this so you can do something better. Uh, I know that there's moments we've all done that, you know, but that's deadly. Because what it's saying is how I feel all the time is the only thing that matters. And we live in a world that is obsessed with how we feel. And we only do things as long as we feel good about them. The second one is this. How do we see trials? In a marriage, this is true. In faith, this is true as well. How do we see trials? I hear this often when, when things, people are going through different things, difficult things. They'll say, if God is so good, then why do bad things happen, right? I always like to ask them the question and say, if Satan is so bad, then why do good things happen? Because we live in this world that says, life's always got to be good. The graph has always got to go up. We've always got to feel good about every single thing that happens. And as soon as there's a little bit of disorientation with trials, suddenly we're coming, you know, we're coming loose at the wheels. We don't quite know what to do. This is why when James writes these words in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything. You could easily use the word marriage instead of faith in the midst of this. And so that you can be mature and complete. So if you hate trials, what that's really saying to you is you're immature. You're not seeing what God is trying to do. You remember the story of Job in the Old Testament, the guy that loses everything, that has this weird opening monologue of how one servant comes and the next one comes and the next one comes, and they all have worse news than the last one, and all of his kids are dead and all of his animals are dead, and every you know, farmhouse is burned down, and people have stolen his land, and all this kind of stuff. And it says that he, he gets to the end of that story, and in Job chapter 1 he says, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the la- name of the Lord be praised. Job understands that life is about both sides. But what we do is we say, the Lord has given. Praise the name of the Lord. The Lord has taken away. Curse the name of the Lord. That's how we live our lives. And Job understands that it is in the ebb and flow of both sides of that that the, re- the correct response is to praise the name of God because he is doing something. We forget that. That's good, right? Y'all can join in at any moment, okay? Greg Green, I know, I know you don't want to. You wanted to say something? Amen. There you go. Good. I like it. Just want to make sure you're, you know. But how we see trials in our marriages, in our faith relationships. The third one, here's a good one. How do we see sacrifice? Huh. Can I be sacrificial even if it does not directly benefit me? Can I live into sacrifice if it's not all about me? 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, Now this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, or for our husbands and wives as well. Jesus led us in this idea of sacrifice, and he told us not just in faith, but in marriage, in family, in life, in work, in relationships, there needs to be this this thread of sacrifice that governs the way that we do things. Or Ephesians uh, chapter chapter 1 or chapter 5, I can't quite remember here, it says, uh, chapter 5, And walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice 
to God. It says we have an example of how to walk in faith, of how to walk in relationship. And it's Jesus. And Jesus approached relationships and faith with the essence of sacrifice. And that's a lesson we really need to learn earlier rather than later. If you're not giving anything up when you're in a a marriage relationship and you're not sacrificial, it's almost guaranteed your marriage won't go well because we become selfish. And selfishness is what destroys marriages because it makes it all about me rather than about us or ultimately about the other person. And the same is true for our faith. Is faith about gathering or is it about giving up? And we have to decide how we see these things. Number four, how do I see priorities? Um, April Lemming, one of our, uh, she's part of our leadership team. About every year she gives me a book and she says, hey, I really think you need to read this. Uh, you know, what a passive aggressive way to say you're not doing well at something. Um, but I do it too. Hey, I got a book for you to read. Uh, so all the time, all the staff's going, you've done that to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have. Um, how do I see priorities? She gave me a book called Essentialism. It's a, it's a short book. It's a very powerful book. Uh, and, and I'm not going to go into all of it. It talks about how we, how we kind of uh, build our life on the essentials and, and what we should do. But one of the first parts of the book, which is really powerful to me, is they talk about this word of priorities. And what they say is it's only been about 120 years since we changed the word in the language from the word priority to the word priority. And it's saying, actually, by doing that, we've, we've completely disregarded the meaning of what that word is. And so now at work, you know, these are our 32 priorities. Well, that's an oxymoron. You can't have 32 priorities. Now, granted, I think they're saying you can't have more than one. Look, I, I'm a pastor. That's a priority to me. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a husband. I'm a father. I do have more than one priority. But what they're saying is you've got to be careful because if our world is just about adding more priority, like when your boss comes in and says, hey, this is a top priority, your first question should be, well, what priority would you like me to downgrade to make room for this one? And then what is their response generally? No, no, you just need to add it can't do that in life. Yes, you can do it a couple of times, but you've got to live your life with a sense of priority. And, and if you look around at our world, just look at our schedules. It'll tell you where our priorities are. And we don't always know how to balance our priorities. It's a problem because we've told people you can give great importance to everything in your life. And it's not true. We have to make decisions about what is really important and what is less important. And maybe a question is, how many priorities do I have? Can I be committed to all of them no matter what? It's a, it's a question we have, to, we have to ask, a question that we have, to, we, have to, we have to think about, we have to consider. When Joshua leads the Israelite people, and they've taken the promised land. In Joshua 24, verse 14, you'll recognize some of this verse in a minute, but I want to read it in its context. Joshua says to the nations, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. You can hear the priority language in there. Worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day who you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors Serve beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He, he's having a priority conversation with these people. And he's saying, you've got to choose what side you're on because you can't do both. Jesus echoes these words when we read them in the New Testament. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. He's, he's sharing with these people. Am I on the right, on, I'm on, on the right space here? No, I'm on the wrong one. Matthew, sorry. It's so hard for me to do this now. I'll try to read what's between now. Uh, part of what Jesus says in Matthew 10, he tells the people, this is after he's done a miracle, and he, and he says to them, now I know sometimes we can get lost in some of these, in some of these words, but Jesus says anyone who loves their father or mother 
more than me is not worthy of me. You can hear priority in the midst of that. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And I know this is a foreign concept. What are you telling me? I need to love Jesus more than my spouse and my kids. I don't know that I do that. Jesus is saying, listen, this is about worthiness. Whoever does not pick up their cross every day and follow me is not worthy of me. Meaning, if somebody does not understand the cost of what it means to be a disciple, then they rather need to stay by the side of the road. Whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will ultimately find it. Jesus is having a conversation about priorities. And he's saying you've got to decide where you are. The last one, number five. How committed am I? Commitment is a problem, isn't it? Keeping our commitments. Keeping commitments comes from a place of covenant. If we don't keep our commitments, it's usually because we're, we're falling into the trap of maybe one through four. How committed am I? Uh, maybe a great way, and I, I briefly mentioned this last week, how many excuses do we allow into our lives? I made a statement and I said, our excuses are becoming our values. We're so good at them now. We're so good at telling people why we can't be committed. And we don't realize that every time we allow an excuse, and some of them are good excuses, don't get me wrong, but every time we allow an excuse that isn't a good excuse, to stand between us and a commitment, we're losing part of ourselves and we're stepping further away. Jesus used this language where he said this, and this is a beautiful story in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is walking around and it says, He said to another man, follow me. And that man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. I mean, that seems like a pretty good excuse. Jesus says, let, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Do you see what he did there? Life and death are not as important as the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. This also sounds pretty good. And Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It seems so harsh and so wrong. But he says there has to be a sense of commitment and priority. And even though those reasons sound good enough, you will always be able to find them if you want to. You need to follow me. That's the primary thing you need to do. Let the rest of it work itself out. I don't think he was literally saying, hey, if you want to go and grab your bag and say, you know, kiss your mom, that's fine. I think he was saying, you're going na to navigate whatever I show you with excuses rather than commitment. And I really can't have that because you don't understand what it means to follow me. This is why we come back to the question, do we like Jesus or do we choose to love him? Do we like him or do we choose to love him? Because love is a choice. When Haley and I decided to get married, I know it sounds very unromantic. Yes, there were, there were special feelings and all that kind of stuff. But we sat down and we made a choice. And when I chose Haley, I never said, well, that means, you know, you're the perfect person for me and I could never make life work with anyone else. But we looked at each other and we said, we're going to choose each other. And we're going to be committed in covenant to each other. And good things are going to happen and bad things are going to happen. And we're going to choose to be in relationship with each other. That's why that, that imagery with us and Jesus, sometimes we have to make a decision. Do I like him or do I, do I love him? Do I really want to be all in with Jesus? Do I love him? Do I want to give him my life? Or am I just going to kind of, kind of pick and choose how often I'm in relationship with him? Sometimes I think we miss that. We miss that idea. We miss that ideal. And we miss out ultimately on the greatest relationship that we can have in our life. So that's my question. Do you love him? Or do you just like him? There's no shame in saying, hey, I just like Jesus. I'm not ready to love him fully. I hope to one day, and maybe you can help me do that. 
but maybe you, you felt a little uncomfortable with some of these things along the way. I know I did. And it calls into question where I am in my relationship with God. It's not about loving God perfectly. Sometimes it's about knowing where you're at. And my desire for all of us, myself included, is that we have wonderful, committed marriages and that we have wonderful, covenantal, and committed faith. That we walk with him who has given up all so that we can be in relationship with him. And having the courage to step towards that, it's not always easy. If God called you today and said, hey, I want you to change your job. I want you to sell your house. I want you to step out in faith. We would probably have some good excuses. Well, Jesus time and time again tells people who want to follow him, who like the idea of being around him, he tells them, I don't think you're ready for that yet. There's too many obstacles in the way. And you're never going to do it perfectly, don't misunderstand me. But there's going to be a solid attempt towards those things. And when you try to live into all of these challenges, there's a word for it. I hope today we're, in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some covenants. Covenant as a, as a church. We're going to share some ideas, and a lot of people are going to say, wow, that's a great idea. I say, but will you walk in covenant with us to that idea? We're going to see. That's what it takes. And maybe in your marriage right now, you're, you're, you're in a tough spot. I don't want to leave without saying something there. Start with the covenant because that's the thing that that's where God resides. Everything else is is all you, <laughs> selfishness mostly. It's in all of us. Start with covenant. Build from there. God will show you things that maybe you've never seen. And maybe in the midst of loving our spouse rather than just liking them, if we even do that at all, maybe the same relationship we'll have with God. We'll move from liking to loving covenant and he will make us who he wants us to be. There's a word of hope, a word of power in that, and I hope that you will today. Let me pray for us, and then we'll continue with some worship. Father, thank you for calling us. Thank you for calling us into relationship with you. Thank you that we have the opportunity to love you. <laughs> that we, we don't have to just be strangers or friends, but that we can be family. God, I pray for every one of our marriages in this room. Maybe, maybe some are at odds right now. Maybe there's been some fights, some harsh words, some difficulties this weekend. Maybe it's been coming for a while. Maybe, maybe we haven't liked each other for years. Father, I just pray today that there would be a renewal, that we would focus our eyes on you as our priority, that we would look at our spouse not as someone who serves our needs, but someone whose needs we serve. Father, teach us what it means to be in covenant. We're so bad at it. But we thank you that you give us grace so that we can learn. I just pray today that you would guide our hearts, guide our lives, shape us into your covenantal people. We give you this time in Jesus' name. The church together says, changes us in our lives. Father, we just pray today that as we uh, spend a minute in your word today, that we would leave with your name on our lips, the relationship that we share with you in our hearts. And God, would you just walk with us today in mighty and powerful ways. Thank you so much that you are holy. Thank you that you allow us to be in relationship with you. We pray that you would bless our time today in Jesus' name together says amen go ahead and take a seat this morning just want to remind you guys and we'll try to send out as many reminders as we possibly can between now and next week that uh, for the next two weeks uh, january 23rd and january 30th we're going to be sharing uh, a vision of our church for uh, uh through this uh, this logo that we've kind of shared with you called shift 22 and we're going to have some resources available to you we're all going to meet at 10 a.m in this room uh, we're going to kind of walk you through what the plan is. 
uh, on the 23rd as well as on the 30th. You're going to have a way to ask some questions in real time uh, that we'll be able to field and then uh, try to give you as much information as we possibly can. We're going to send out, send out a text. So if you, if you don't get our church texts, all that that means is you're not a member of our church, right? Is that correct? So uh, if you want to get texts, that's as good a reason as any others to become a member of this church. Uh, no, uh, th- if some people say, why am I not getting the texts? And I'll say, well, because you're not a member yet. Uh, but we will send out an email. So uh, hopefully we will, we will keep, you guys, um, keep you guys aware. Otherwise, you're going to arrive this time next week and have no idea what's going on. And you might as well just change churches at that point. So if you've been waiting for that opportunity, this might be the perfect week to go ahead and do that. Uh, no, but 10 o'clock next Sunday we'll be here. I don't know if you know this, but we're about, you know, just two days past the date. But in about a month, there is this very, uh, you know, this, this well-known holiday that's coming up called Valentine's Day. So, guys, if you've forgotten already that Valentine's Day is coming, uh, maybe this is your cue to put that in your calendar and remember that that event is taking place. I'm not quite sure if the, uh, if the chocolate people and the card people and the jewelry people got together and said, hey, how can we scam people uh, out of more money and let's invent something that if they're not a part of, they're going to feel bad and they're going to be judged by everybody around them. How can we do that? Um, And I'm not sure. Maybe this is a holiday for people who are single who are not quite up on their courage just yet to to try to ask that special someone out. out. But um, Haley and I have agreed that this holiday is a complete sham. Okay? It absolutely is a sham. Um, the way that I like to put it when I describe uh, what I feel about Valentine's Day, it's simple. I just say the fish is already in the boat. So let's, uh, let's just leave it at that, shall we say. Somebody texted me between services and said, wow, isn't that a romantic statement? Um, you're right. I am a romantic at heart, if nothing else. Um, but, but this is kind of a special day. You know, uh, I don't remember a lot of Valentine's Days. I really don't. And I'm sure most of us probably probably don't either. But there's kind of something very interesting. Uh, for those of you that have come to our marriage group, you know the story of me and Haley and, and, and kind of how we, how we started dating and, and all the rest of it and, and how we broke up for a few months. You guys know this whole, pr- probably the whole story about some of that. But years after we were married, uh, Haley told me a story about the moment that she, that she knew that she loved me. Uh, which uh, she told me years years afterwards. It was just last week, actually. Um, no, I'm kidding. It was about a few years after we got married. She told me the story. Now, my story, our dating story, is probably the same as all of yours in one factor, and that is when we were dating, we were poor. Okay, uh, pretty much everybody in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. We we were poor. That's why Haley and I met over coffee because it was cheap. And it was about the only thing we could afford. Every now and then, we'd work and we'd have some money for the weekend. And we'd really splurge, you know, and go to Abuelo's. Um, that was like a hot date, you know, if we went to, we went to like Abuelo's if we were like real grown-ups. Um, but she tells the story. One night, we were going to watch a movie. We enjoyed watching movies together. And, um, and we, we were going to the movies. And, she, and we stopped at a gas station. I don't think it was to get gas. I think it was to go in and buy candy that we could smuggle into the movie theater because in case you missed it, we were poor, okay? We weren't going to pay those ridiculous prices. You know what I'm talking about, right? And she said for some reason in that moment, I w- she said, you walked into the, into the convenience store and it was just in that moment that I decided I don't just like this guy, I actually love this guy. And I thought, wow, that's, that's kind of a cool story. I, I don't remember that story with me and Haley. I don't remember the first time that I realized I loved her, but I do remember the time that I realized that I wanted to marry her or that I was choosing to marry her. Um, we, we were, we'd been dating for a while. We'd gone through a breakup, and then we got back together. You know, I mean, I, I think we did. I mean, we have been married 15 years, so maybe, maybe we did. Um, but I remember she, uh, she, she, had this, she had this bed, and her parents bought her a new bed, and she needed help moving the old mattress out. And so she called me and said, hey, would you mind helping me? And so here we are in an apartment because this is when you do things by yourself, you know, moving it down the narrow hallway, down the stairs, you know, taking it to the dumpster. And I don't, if you're a psychologist, maybe you can tell me what I was thinking or what was going on. There was something really funny in that moment that I said, this is the girl that I want to marry. And I don't know why it was that way, but I remember that moment. Um, I I drove up to Amarillo. Uh, We lived in Abilene at the time. I lived in Abilene at the time. Drove up, talked to her parents. Uh, then about three, four months later, my parents 
uh, came overseas, and we there was a family vacation. Haley was invited, and I proposed to her so my parents and my family could also be a part of that event because sometimes they're not part of these things because of the distance as well. It's kind of a cool story. But the reality is this. In every relationship, there is a moment where we have to decide, do we love this person or do we just like them? Do I love him is a question Haley had to ask, or do I just do I just like him? And I thought about this. What if we took that that concept and transposed it not only over uh, our relationships, but maybe also over our faith relationships? W- when it comes to Jesus, do we love him or do we just like him? And I think sometimes. We don't always know what that is. And I think we would all agree in this room that there's, there's a difference between liking someone and loving someone. If you're in a dating relationship, we know this to be true. At least we hope that this is true, uh, that there's a difference between liking somebody and loving somebody. There's also a difference between loving someone and loving the idea of someone. A lot of times in our world, we're projecting this image of, well, you know, I really want to have all these things, and it would be nice if I could find somebody to fit that, but we like the picture more than the person. There's a difference between loving somebody and loving the idea of somebody, and hopefully we're teaching our kids the difference between these two. Let me tell you, sometimes definitions help us. The difference between dating and marriage is covenant. That's what defines the difference between a dating relationship and a marriage relationship. Now, our world blurs those lines and says one is equal to the other, and I would strongly disagree and say, listen, I understand if you are are doing all the things that married people do, you're living together, whatever it might be, but the difference between dating and marriage is covenant. And we don't talk about that enough in our world. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. The ironic thing is if we transpose that onto the idea of faith, the difference between belief in God and faith in God, ironically, is also covenant. There is a difference between these two things. Now, last week I used a fancy word, and I talked about the world of neo-agnosticism. And and what that means, agnosticism is is kind of a concept that says, listen, I, I believe in God. I know I believe that God created things. I'm I'm all about that, but I'm not going to set my life in line behind him. I'm going to pray to him if I need something and if he shows up and I'm going to kind of constantly have this betting relationship with God. If I really need him, I hope he's there, and if he's not there when I when I need him in the way that I think he is, then I'm going to sort of deny it. But if you ask me to set my life up with the priority of faith, that's not where I am. It's kind of like dating or belief. We haven't quite made the crossover into covenant and into relationship. So I ask us again, do we love him or do we just like him? That's ironic because you would think the neo-agnosticisms are people outside of the church, but I find sometimes a lot of those people are good churchgoers as well. They just kind of visit Jesus once a week on Sunday. So maybe part of the question that I'm going to try to answer today for myself and for all of us is, is how do I know if I, if I love Jesus or if I just like the idea of Jesus? Because I think these two things are different. Now, before I start, and I've said it like two or three times already, but I want to make sure you understand it. Just FYI, covenants grow from choices, not feelings. We live in a world that is inundated and overwhelmed by how you feel all the time. But the Bible tells us again and again, That covenants are about choices. Covenants are not just about how you feel. It doesn't say in the Bible God had a good day and decided to make a covenant with his people. He chose his people and he made covenant with them. And that's kind of a large principle that I want us to carry as we go through. So I'm going to give us five things that we can apply to to our, our marriages. We can also apply to our faith. And maybe at the end it'll reveal something about us and we can decide exactly where we are on the spectrum of loving him or just liking him. Number one is this. How important are my feelings? Do you ever find that we live in a world that is constantly talking about how you feel all the time? And a lot of the world tells you you've got to feel amazing and awesome just 100% of the time. I have people in marriages sometimes, they'll come in from marriage counseling, they've usually been married for a while, and they'll say, I'm not in love with this person anymore. 
And my first response, not trying to be facetious, is love really doesn't have a lot to do with covenant. It's the origin of covenant, and it's where God starts. But our feelings are not really about how well we should live into covenant. And need I remind you that only the last, about uh, last hundred years, or maybe a little longer, have marriages been about, do I love this person? In, in, in years past, they were all arranged. Arranged marriages were about alliances, political and militarily as well. It was the first son of this clan that married the first daughter of this, and they created an alliance or a kingdom between the two of them. We are so dominated by how we feel that what we think is, if I don't feel right, then somehow that voids my covenant because I've been told by the world that I need to feel good all the time. Am I only interested in something as long as I feel interested in something? It's kind of a question that we're trying to ask in our world today. Everything is about how we feel all the time, and it doesn't tell us a lot about the commitments that we've made or the things that we should be committed to. Feelings lie to us, and yet we base so much of our world on these feelings. Number two is this. How do I see trials? This is going to determine, you know, listen, if you're in a dating relationship and you walk through a tough patch, Haley and I walked through a tough patch, and we broke up because we weren't that invested in trials. Now that we've you know, been married, we have a different approach to these things. I hear people all the time that are walking through difficult things. They say, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? And I almost like to turn that a little on its ear and say, well, what if we ask the opposite question? If Satan is so bad, then why does he allow good things to happen? Because what we've done is we've told people everything in life always goes up. Everything's always got to be good. Everything's got to be great. Everything's got to be wonderful. And if you face anything difficult, it must be someone else. It can't be you. So we start asking these questions about why, why am I going through something difficult? And maybe those are questions you're asking right now. In James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, there, there's a powerful passage that, that Paul kind of talks to us. And we could easily substitute the word for faith with the word for marriage as well. But it says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. The, the, the funny thing about it is, is if we apply that, if you have a bad view of trials, or you always think God is punishing you in the midst of trials, what it says is you're actually immature and incomplete. When Job, one of the greatest stories of the Old Testament, the first chapter of Job is this unfolding of the worst day in Job's life. Every servant comes in has a worse story than the servant before. Your houses have burned down, all your kids have been killed, all your animals are dead. Somebody's stolen this from you and taken that from you. And at the end of chapter 1, it says Job falls on the ground and he says, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job has an idea of how this works. In our world today, if I translate it, the Lord gives, may the name of the Lord be praised. The Lord takes away, may the name of the Lord be cursed. That's what we do. If God gives me everything I want all the time, then we're good. If anything bad happens, I'm going to start saying, God, why did you do this? But I never ask that question on the other side. Job's got it right. No matter good or bad that we go through in this life, the correct response is to praise the name of the Lord for good and for bad because God is doing his work even in the midst of the difficult. He is shaping and forming and doing something in our lives. We have to just let him. So how we see trials. Listen, if you think your faith journey or your marriage journey is always just going to be rainbows and unicorns, you better get ready because covenant has both sides of it. Number three, how do we see sacrifice? Oh, I wish he hadn't have said that. Anytime you're involved in covenant, it involves sacrifice. In fact, that's how covenants are started, through sacrifice. The question maybe we can ask, 
can I be sacrificial even if it does not directly benefit me? Because all of us, whether we'd like to admit it or not, we have a very selfish side. And sacrifice is the antithesis of being selfish. But we, we don't mind being sacrificial if it benefits us, right? But can we be sacrificial even if it does not benefit us? 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, it says, Now this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters or our husbands and our wives. We need to live sacrificially because that is the way that we really get into contact with what Jesus had done. Jesus lived his life sacrificially. Paul echoes this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2. It says, and now walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Everything about the story of Jesus, whether it be in faith or in other things, is really about him saying, how do we learn to sacrifice? Selfish people struggle in marriages. Selfish people struggle in faith. When we learn to be sacrificial, we find not only ourselves and our best selves, but we find the very presence of God. Number four is this. How do I see priority? And like I've said, these are, both for, th- these are for both of our marriages, faith. It's kind of all, all mixed in very much in the same thing. Uh, April Lemming, who's sitting somewhere down there, uh, is one of our leadership team members. Every few months she gives me a book and she says, hey, I think you need to read this, which I've come to learn is a very passive-aggressive move for her saying, there's something wrong with you and this book might just fix you. Um, and then some of my staff after the first says, they said, you've come to me and said, hey, I've got a book you need to read. And I said, well, that's exactly what I'm doing passive-aggressively is saying, hey, here's a book. Maybe this will help you. Um, but the reality is she always gives me, she always gives me a book. A couple, couple books ago, she gave me a book called Essentialism, which uh, is a really powerful book and it's the name kind of gives it away. It's about learning, learning to do only what is essential in our lives, learning, learning to govern our world around what is most important. But the, the most interesting thing that I want to represent today is the first chapter of that book, one of the things that the author says is it talks about this idea of priority. And it says, you know, it's only been about 120 years since we changed that word. The word used to be priority. The new word is priorities. We, we pluralize that word. Now, I want you to understand that that in and of itself is an oxymoron. You cannot have five priorities. Now, I know you can have a few that are kind of top of the list, and I think that's why they did that. Well, you know, I'm a pastor, and I'm a husband, and I'm a father, and all those things are my priorities, and I get that. But if you have 32 priorities in your life, it's impossible to do that. One of the things it says in the book, which I loved, it says, you know, when, when, when your boss comes to you and says, hey, we need to do this, this is a priority, your first response should be, okay, what, am I, what priority am I downgrading so that I have room for this one? And the response is almost always, no, we just need to add that to our priority list. So now our company or our business has 32 priorities, and you can't have that many priorities. Yeah, you might be able to have one or two or three that are of most importance, but you really can only ever have one priority. You know, what priorities do I have? Can I be committed to all of them no matter what? Parents, is this not a conversation you've had with your kids? You say, hey, we're going to do this event, and then inevitably some party comes up between now and then, and your kid comes to you and says, I really want to go to the party. And if you're a good parent, (laughs) at least we try to, what do we do? You have a commitment. You got to keep your commitment. You said yes to this first. Now, what we what we often do in our world is let's come up with some really bad excuse that we can give to someone, and then we can do what we really want to do. And we're moving away from this idea of priorities and sacrifices and choices. It's kind of funny because. even, even Jesus talks about priority, but priorities go all the way back to the Old Testament. 
right after the Israelites have taken the promised land, Joshua kind of gathers the assembly of people around. And you're going to know part of this verse in Joshua 24. But it's so funny because I'm going to read kind of the expanded version of this. After they've taken the land, Joshua kind of gathers everybody there. And he says this in chapter 24, beginning in verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors. Worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors who they serve beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua actually says you can't have more than one priority. You can't have three sets of gods that you're trying to serve and think you're going to serve all of them correctly or properly. You have to make a choice at some point about what your priority is. When, when Jesus has many followers, people that are coming after him and, and wanting to be his follower, he gives them some very stern words. Here are some out of Matthew chapter 10. He says, whoever does not deny their father or whoever loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or their daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, he's not saying you can't love your family and you need to hate your kids. He's not saying that. He's saying, but if you don't start your life around the priority of faith and the priority of me, you're going to struggle. Whoever does not take up their cross, who does not understand burden, and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He's using covenantal language, priority language, of saying this is what it means to walk with me in faith. These are not easy words. They're true words. The last one, number five. How committed am I? applies again marriages faith how committed am i to these things that i profess a question that i've sort of brought up a couple times but i think it's very relevant today how many excuses do we allow into our lives you know if you look at our schedule you can see that our priorities are so wide and so big we almost don't know how to how to do all these things but last week i made a comment and i said what we don't realize in this time in our history is that our excuses are starting to become our values. You ever find this? When somebody asks you to do something, is our first instinct, I really want to do that, or is our instinct, how can I come up with a barrier so that I don't have to be a part of this? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's really a revealing of our commitment level. So I'm not saying that you can't ever be sick or you can't ever have a genuine excuse, but every time we make bad excuses or False excuses, shall we call them. It changes us and it allows us to believe that we don't have to be that committed to things. Jesus in Luke chapter 9 says these words as people are, are, are starting to follow him. It says Jesus looks at another man and says, follow me. But the man replied, well, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. I mean, that sounds like a really good reason. I need to go to a funeral. And Jesus says, let the, be- let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What he is saying in this moment is, the kingdom of God is more important than funerals. The kingdom of God needs to be the priority at all costs. Now, I don't think Jesus was saying you can never you know, remember the dead or anything. What he's saying is, if you are going to start, at the first time when I say, follow me, the first thing you do is give an excuse, then you shouldn't do that. Rather go and live your life as faithfully as you can, but you're not ready to be a follower. Still another said, I will follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to my family. Again, it seems like a really good reason. But Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. It's really quite harsh. Because Jesus is saying, only the most committed win. And the kingdom of God has got to be the priority in your life 
and the thing that you're willing to sacrifice for. Jesus is calling people to covenant. So we come back to that original question. Do you like Jesus or do you choose to love him? You know, when Haley and I, uh, when Haley and I decided to get married, we chose each other. I mean, I, I know it sounds terribly romantic, but we kind of sat down, and I don't want to say weighed the pros and cons, but we kind of did that. We kind of said, hey, if we're going to do this together, what's that going to look like? And it required some sacrifice from both of us to kind of achieve and attain what we wanted to attain. Covenants are about choices. They're not about feelings. Covenants are about, are about choices. They're not just about, hey, in this moment I happen to have a, you know, an explosion of emotion. It's really nice if you like each other after 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 years. That's a great bonus. But covenant does not require that. And our world tells us an opposite story, don't they? You choose that person as long as they serve all your needs in the way that you think it should. That's why marriages are falling along the wayside. Because we're making them all about us. And yet the story of faith and the story of marriage is actually a very similar story. They're both governed by these two things that God gives us. In both stories, they're governed by covenant. And maybe your marriage is on the skids. Maybe you've gone through a really tough season. My encouragement to you would be start with the covenant that you made with each other. And maybe look at this list. Maybe that's helpful for you. Maybe in faith as well, you say, I feel like I'm just not quite where I need to be. I mean, I know I love God, but I'm not really, I'm not really thinking about Him first. I'm not making that a priority. I, I'd rather just come and visit Jesus on Sundays and then go home and get on with my life. And you can do that. But you'll never take hold of the beauty of the covenant that God wants to give us. Listen, as our church, we're about to step into the biggest things we've ever stepped into. It's going to be a covenant moment for our church. And not everybody's going to go there with us. Because guess what? It's going to require sacrifice and priority. And you're going to have to decide how you want to be in covenant with, with God through this church. And some people are going to put up their hand and say, that's not where I want to go. And that's okay. Not everybody that God or that Jesus called into covenant walked into covenant with him. Some people turned around and walked away. But I think that it matters. Do we just like the idea of Jesus or do we just like him when we need him? Or do we love him and take, take with both hands all of that that is required? <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly, the tough, the wonderful, the challenging. Because I do believe that when we commit our lives to him fully, when we take our covenants seriously in our world, it changes our lives. And it makes us like God. Not that we are gods, don't misunderstand me. But you are never closer to God than when you're living into your covenant. Because that's where God dwells. take those things seriously, we will find not only ourselves and our partners, but we'll find God in them. So I hope there's a word of, of hope in this. Just remember Valentine's Day is a sham. It is. But if you can get a free dinner out of it. Will you pray for us? We're going to have some worship as well. Father, I thank you for just this day of calling us and reminding us giving us a few laughs. Father, we pray that we would, would love our spouses well. That as we try to be covenant people, that God, you will, you will shape and form us the way that we need to be shaped and formed. God, we confess to you that we are so selfish <laughs> that we struggle to step outside of ourselves. 
But God, as we, as we just refocus for a minute at the end of the service on what you have done, may we, may we get behind you and follow you wherever you would lead. And just pray that you would bless our time today. Father, help us, bless our marriages. Whatever unkind words or challenges maybe we've faced even in the last few days, or maybe we've disliked each other for years. God, we just pray for renewal of covenant in our homes, in ourselves, and towards you. Please bless us as we continue to worship your name. We pray this all through Jesus. And the church together says,